started out singing about fear. And that fear doesn't stand a chance. And I think I, I want to just pray into fear today and whatever that's looking like because fear could be as simple as I'm just fearful of people and what they think. Oh, it could be it could be I've got anxiety because I'm fearful of the unknown or I'm, I'm fearful of, of the, the possibilities. Fear could also be I've got a fear of dying. And I can't explain why I have that fear of dying and I feel an, a sense of impending doom or judgment upon me and perhaps that's because you don't belong to the Lord yet and so that fear is, is rightly placed. Um, or, or perhaps it's, it's there and it's not of you. And, and maybe there's something else there. And so, so fear can take a lot of different, different avenues. And there's an appropriate response at times where I'm facing something that is life-threatening and it produces fear. I, I'm not necessarily talking about that. So I, I wonder if you would just take a moment, ask the Lord, show me, search me, Lord, know me. If there's fear in my heart, if there's fear in my life, if I am being controlled, I'm being influenced by fear. If I'm making my decisions out of fear, if I'm relating to people out of fear, if I am being overly cautious out of fear, just ask him, show you if it's there, and then we're gonna pray into that. sound random let me just ask though does anyone in the room have a heart condition something with your physical heart that you've been asking the Lord to heal or you've got stuff okay see that okay um someone go ahead and Shane keep your hand up somebody just get a hand on him we're gonna pray for that somebody get a hand on him and then over here uh, I see Stephen and you're you're pointing somewhere Gene oh up Okay, I'll, I'm going to come to you here. Um, okay, we've got a hand there. Anybody else with a heart, physical heart, right here? Okay, can we get somebody to put a hand on, if that's okay, can someone put a hand on the shoulder and pray for you? Okay, if someone right right here, just get a hand on her. Somebody around her, thank you. We can get a couple more on there, absolutely. Anybody else that I'm missing? You're pointing to Dan? Yeah, I'm going to get Dan, okay. Anybody else? heart that I miss. All right, so we're going to pray for fear. And with your fear, let, let's, let's do this. If you have fear that the Lord has shown you, go ahead and confess that if you have it. Go ahead and confess that as fear. Lord, I'm, I'm not trusting you. I'm, I'm living based on fear. Confess it as fear. Call it what it is. But Lord, instead of that fear, fill me with the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is faith, right? Faithfulness. So Lord, replace that. Go ahead and confess that. And then we're going to pray into that. And then we'll also pray for hearts. So Father, I'm grateful to you that you are a God who calls us into the light as you are in the light. 
It's fear that wants us to stay in darkness. It's, it's fear of being caught. It's fear of being found out. It's fear of being judged. It's fear of being thought of less. It's, it's fear of not being approved or being accepted. It's, it's fear that so often drives us and keeps us in the dark. And so we live our lives based on and oriented toward that which we fear. And that has become an idol in some of our lives because it shapes our direction, our decisions, our time, our money. And so Lord, in the name of Jesus, we break that which has been holding us captive by fear. In Jesus' name, we renounce it, we confess it to you as sin. Fear does not have a place in my heart. It does not get to have residence and pay rent in my life. So we confess that to you now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that, God, you're a God who says, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just. You're gonna do what you said in Christ that you've done and you're just, you will deal with it justly and decisively. You did that in the cross. And so then you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now, Lord, let your cleansing righteousness overcome us. The forgiveness has been purchased at the cross, but God, let, your, let that forgiveness now wash over us in an experiential way, in a, in a cleansing way, as fear is wiped away in Jesus' name. So where there's anxiety in the name of Jesus, we speak against that. And instead, Lord, let your, your life and faithfulness and joy and hope and peace come in. Where there's fear of death or that impending sense of doom or judgment, in, in, in the name of Jesus, if that is something that is outside of ourselves, if that is some kind of spirit, a spirit enforcing or influencing fear, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke it and command it to leave. If that fear is sitting upon us because we're not yet in the kingdom of God, open our eyes that we might see and believe in Christ's death and his resurrection on our behalf, going from darkness to light. And then now, God, for the hearts, the physical hearts that are in the room, Holy Spirit, come and bring healing to the heart. Every heart in the room that we are praying for now, and for those who are not here who might be listening to this later, in the name of Jesus, every heart, we command you now to function properly in Jesus' name. All the valves work properly in Jesus' name. The blood flow to work properly in the name of Jesus. Where there is arrhythmias or there is skipping beats in the name of Jesus, we command those hearts to come into perfect alignment with God's kingdom now in the name of Jesus. And if any of these hearts are, 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 are off because Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. If there's ever been a moment where there has been hope set on something and it did not come to pass, or my hopes were dashed, or I was crushed because something didn't happen, if the heart issue is related to that, Holy Spirit, come and bring healing to that. Come and bring healing to that dashed hope, that deferred hope. And now in the name of Jesus, we speak to those hearts. Be restored in Jesus' name. So now, God, as we continue in our worship this morning, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Help us to understand. Help, our, help us to grasp that which is beyond our understanding and then show us how to live differently because of it. We ask it all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Right. Oh, hey, um, if we prayed for your heart,
And if you experience healing, maybe you have to go to a cardiologist to check that. But if you find out you've experienced healing, let us know. Okay? We, we, we want to know because that's God's story. God gets the glory for that. Right? So, um, and if you want to know why we pray for things like that or how to pray for things like that, um, why maybe I was picking that this morning, that's what tonight's training is about. That's open, okay? So that is, if you want to learn more about praying for people who are sick or who have afflictions, the afflictions could be sickness or um, demonic things. It, it, it covers all of that. Um, but that's the kind of stuff we're going to be looking at tonight. It starts at 5 o'clock here. Um, I'll have, it's going to be simple, so if you don't want it, don't, don't uh, plan accordingly. But pizza and salad, um, and then uh, we'll, we'll do some teaching time. And then if, if the Lord provides, then we'll have an opportunity to be able to maybe put some of that into practice. Okay. Um, but that'll be tonight in our gathering area, and if you want to learn more about it, you're welcome to come for that. Okay. All right, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 14 this morning. Deuteronomy 14, and we're going to look at the first 21 verses. We're going to get there eventually. I'm going to do, do a little bit of a review on some things uh, before we get there, but Deuteronomy chapter 14, if you're using the Bibles on the chairs there around you, on um, page 123, or if the Bible that you have has a flame on the front, then you're going to page 158, 158. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Here's where we're going this morning. We're, what you're going to find if you're reading, oh, by the way, um, on the reading schedule, you'll notice next week it says break. That's not a break from church. That's a break from Deuteronomy. Okay, I did have one person ask that. No, next week is not a break from church. Um, we're just taking a break from Deuteronomy. We're going to have a guest preacher in here, Thomas. Where's he at? Thomas, our youth pastor, is going to be preaching next week. And I just, yay, okay. That's a good way to start. Um, and I, whenever we're doing a series, especially when we're doing a series like, like Deuteronomy or something like that, I usually tell people when they come in, just pick something else because, one, it'll be good for, for you to preach whatever the Lord's doing for you. But then I figured you guys want to break from Deuteronomy at some point. So it's a good way to do that. Right? So, so that's why that, that has a break there. All right? And then we'll pick it back up after that week. All right, so here's where we're going this morning. The children of God must treat their bodies differently because they belong to God. So we're going to be talking about uh, the ethics of our body this morning. Did you, did you come prepared for that? Okay, but, but here's, here's what we're going to ultimately be getting into. Because we belong to God, it changes the way we treat our bodies. And we're, we're, we're looking at primarily, there's two things in the, in the verses this morning, um, but, but primarily it's going to be the dietary laws. And these are things that when we are reading through the scriptures, we come across the, the clean and unclean and the dietary laws. It's hard for us to connect with those sometimes. It's hard for us to understand why does it matter. And, and so I'm probably going to do some, some more of a higher level than some of you want this morning. And for others of you, it's going to be a much deeper dive than you ever intended to go. It's just, it's just one of those things. But what I'm hoping to get at is I hope that if you don't have an understanding of why does what we do with our bodies to include what we put into it, why does it matter to God? And what might he be doing in these, in these verses that we're looking at? I hope you're going to walk away with a greater understanding of that. And then we're going to ask the Spirit to challenge us and teach us what does this mean? How do, how do we live now because of this? But ultimately, the application is going to go much broader because God cares about what we do with our bodies, what we do to them, and what we put in them. All right? So that's where we're going this morning. But before we get there, I want to, I want to draw your attention to this because you're going to see clean, unclean, holy, common, all throughout the, uh, the, uh, the, the verses, back in 2019, we went through um, 10 sermons in the book of Leviticus. And this is one of those things we hit on that we were kind of talking through as we were going through the book of Leviticus on a high level. 
but it's been a couple years, and you know how COVID has just kind of caused us to lose two years, and so, you know, we're going to go over this again, and so I'm, I'm going to have this up here for a few minutes as I talk about it. Hopefully, this is going to help you to understand more of the Old Testament, what you see in the Old Testament behind clean and unclean, but also, as I go through this, I'm hoping that for some of you, you're going to start going, boom, New Testament, boom, Jesus, boom, Paul, right? Things there. So here's what we're looking at here, okay? So you've got, in a broad picture, two categories, holy, and then the large circle here is common. Common is the opposite of holy. If something is holy, then it's not common. If something is common, it cannot be holy. But then that which is common is broken out into two categories, clean and unclean. Clean is the opposite of unclean. That which is holy and that which is unclean can never come into contact. Never. So the, the, the normal state, thing, things, people, objects, animals, all these things can, can have this kind of category. They can be clean or unclean, and some of these things can become a holy. Some things, like what we're going to see with some animals, are considered just permanently unclean. But then there's other things that might be clean at one point, but then they can become unclean, and so they can shift categories. And so I'm going to start here at the bottom now. If something is unclean, it can become clean through the proper processes, through proper sacrifices, through proper uh, cleansings. And so if something that is unclean gets cleansed, it then becomes clean. It doesn't become holy right away. It becomes clean, right? But it's still in that, that things that are common, so it's still not holy. But something that's clean, if it is sanctified, it elevates its status, if something that is clean gets sanctified, it's set apart for God, and there's, there's certain things that are done to it in order to set it apart for God, then that thing, that animal, or that person, or that object, becomes holy. But it is God who ultimately makes it holy. But there's a process on, especially in the Old Testament, we see with, with objects and, and sometimes um, some of the, the animals, we, we see that there's a process that um, humanity has to go through in order for it to be able to be declared holy, okay? Holy is the opposite of common. Something that is common cannot, uh, is opposite from holy. Something that is unclean cannot come into contact with holy. The normal operating state for most things and most people in general would be clean. Now, when you hear clean and unclean, you don't think hygiene. It's not necessarily about hygiene. It's not, did you put on deodorant? Did you, did you bathe? It's not about clean and unclean hygiene. They're theological categories more than they are about hygiene. They're, they're clean and unclean in relationship to that which is holy, okay? So clean is the, the general state where most things, most people, it's kind of more just a, a maybe a neutral state. That, that's not the best way to describe it, but that's where we generally, generally operate. And then something that is clean, if it gets polluted, if it comes in contact with something that's unclean, if something is done to pollute that, then the clean can become unclean. A lot of times, uncleanness is contagious, right? A lot of times, something that is unclean, if it comes into contact with something that's clean, it makes that which is clean, unclean. But except for with one person, the, the, the Savior, the Messiah, that which is clean cannot make that which is unclean, clean. It's not contagious right? So unclean is contagious. It can make that which is clean, unclean. But except for the Messiah, Jesus, who himself touches things because he's holy, he can make unclean things clean. Okay, so here's where I'm going. 
You might be thinking of um, categories of unclean and clean. Think about sicknesses. Think about um, leprosy or um, things that the Old Testament calls unclean would be bodily discharges. Uh, once a month for women. Um, anything unnatural that comes out of the body. Anytime blood comes out of the body, that's unclean, right? Um, after, after giving birth, women are unclean for either seven or I think it was 14. It depends on if it's a male or female, right? There's, there's different time periods that the woman is unclean for. Um, check me on those numbers. I just, I'm shooting off the top of my head on those numbers there. Um, but there's, there's different periods of time that a woman is unclean after childbirth in the Old Testament. It's not because she's in sin, Cleanliness and uncleanliness is not, not usually about sinfulness. It's about that which is not, um, not, when we're thinking about holy, that's the standard. So this would be common. It's not holy. It's, we might say it's abnormal. It's not the norm. So if you think about things coming out of your body, blood coming out of your body, discharges coming out of your body, that's not normal. It's abnormal. It's not how you were designed. So when something comes out where it's not supposed to be, a lot of times that's what makes something unclean because it's outside of the usual. It's outside of the normal. So uh, um, what I'm trying to break down for you is clean and unclean. I don't want you thinking sin and, and not sin. That's not usually the case. A lot of the things in the Old Testament where people are declared unclean, it has nothing to do with sinfulness or sinful actions. It, it has to do with just that which is common, not being able to come in contact with that which is holy. And so when you have the people of Israel who are set apart and holy to the Lord, okay, we're going to see that this morning. They are a people who have been set apart. They are holy to the Lord. They are his chosen people, his treasured possession. Therefore, they live differently because God dwells in their midst. So therefore, the things they do to their bodies and the things they put into their bodies matter. The things they touch, the things they come in contact matters. They cannot approach the presence of God in a common way. Right? And so a lot of what you read is, is this whole practice. And so unclean things must never come into contact with holy things. That which is unclean, if they go through the right process, usually there's sacrifices or there might be some cleansing of some kind, they then can become clean. So think about a woman who gave birth. She becomes unclean after giving birth. Why? Because things came out of her body that should not normally come out of her body. It's not about sinfulness on the woman's part. It's about just things that are not usual taking place. So there's a period of time sometimes that a person must wait, and then they offer sacrifice, or then they get cleansed, and they come back into a state of, we might say, ritual cleanliness. Um, with lepers, they're put outside of the camp. Uh, did I say leopards? I, I don't know if I put the D on. Lepers, sometimes I've done that. Lepers are put outside of the camp. Leopards should go outside of the camp too. But they're put outside because their skin, the, 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 the disease or the sickness or the affliction is on their skin. And so not, not because they're sinful, right? But because they're unclean when compared to that which is holy. If someone else comes into contact with, with this sickness or disease, it can take someone else who's in a state of ritual or ceremonial cleanness and bring them down to an unclean state, right? So, so this is the process. This is the, this is the day in, day out, month to month type of um, living that the people of Israel had to be thinking about and what God was teaching his people because if you're going to live in the presence of a holy God and you're going to be a people set apart as holy to that God, you can't live as common. You cannot live your life in the same way that all these other nations, all these other people live, okay? So, don't think hygiene, don't think sin. Sometimes, absolutely, a person who's in a clean state sins and it makes them unclean, absolutely, but don't make that always the case. 
Okay, that's why I gave you the examples of a woman giving birth or, or blood coming out of the body. Or, hey, you have a loved one that died and you're, you're, you're handling their body. You become uh, to a state of uncleanliness, right? It's not sin for you to do that, but you, you, need, to, you need to know that you're entering into a state of uncleanliness because then there's proper time period you need to wait and then there's proper cleansings or sacrifices that need to be done before you come back into a state of cleanliness. Because if you, let's say you're, you're handling your, your loved one's uh, body and you're, you're embalming it or you're taking care of it, you're putting oils on it, something like that, you come into a state of uncleanliness, remember, uncleanness is contagious. So then you go and you interact with, say, you're, you're walking and you see the priest. Or, or you, you know, the um, hit was, if something is made holy, let's take an object or, or something like that. If it gets profaned, if it gets corrupted or, 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 or something comes in contact with it, that which is holy can then go back to being clean or ultimately unclean. Okay, so you, do you see this cycle? All right, hope, hopefully it just stretched your brain a little bit more and you'll have at least some capacity for that. But that's going to be helpful as we go forward because otherwise we tend to read clean, unclean, we think sin, not sin, we think hygiene. And now I hope this is going to help us understand why does God care what we do to our bodies or why does he care what we put in our body? All right? So the first thing we're going to do, what do we do to our bodies? Why does God care about what we do to our bodies? So look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're just going to look at the first two verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 14, first two verses. Moses says, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your forehead for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That first phrase, you are the sons of the Lord your God. The, the nation of Israel is called sons of God. Okay, so the, the Lord God, Yahweh God, treats his people, the, the people of Israel here, as his son, right? Now that's significant because that, come, because that comes in a line of understanding how God relates through, to people through covenant and how the covenants require an obedient son. So God relates to people through covenants and the covenants that God has with, with people requires an obedient son, Adam. There's a covenant made with Adam. It's not necessarily explicit, but there's elements there that help us to know there are restrictions, there are boundaries, there are blessings and curses that are, that are put there. You, here's your, here's your role, Adam. You go and you be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, tend to the garden, right? You may eat of any tree of the garden except for that one in the middle. The day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Okay, there are elements of a covenant there. There's a call to obedience by Adam in order to continue to experience the blessings of God. Adam is called a son of God, All right? Obviously, Adam disobeys. Okay, so the next covenant we see is, is with Noah. Noah is a similar covenant to what Adam is, but remember with Noah, he's stepping off the ark, him and his, his immediate family, and they're starting the human race over again. So it's a very similar covenant. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Obviously, there's some differences now because sin has come in and, and corrupted the, the earth and the human race, right? But the same thing. There's an obedience required by Noah who is viewed as the son, right? In this case, right? He's, a, he's expected to be obedient to the covenant. He breaks the covenant, right? Then we see the next covenant that's made is on a much larger scale, and it's with Abram, right? And so the, the idea is Abram is, a, is a, the obedient son in that covenant. He's, he's called to be the obedient son in that covenant. Now, the difference here is that the covenant made with Abram, when God puts Abram to sleep, in Genesis chapter 15, Abram does not walk through. 
right? When you would make a covenant, you would split the animals and you'd cut them in half and the two people making the covenant would walk through together. And that's how you're binding that covenant. You've, you've spilled some blood to start that covenant. It's called cutting the covenant. And then as you walk through, you're saying, if I break my end of the covenant, let it be to me like it is to these animals, right? So the, the key here is Abram's given a covenant in Genesis chapter 12 and includes things like a land and, and multiple descendants, many descendants, and, and you through you, the whole family, all the families of the earth will be blessed, right? But then in chapter 15, when this covenant is, is kind of expanded, we see that God walks through on his own as he puts Abram into a deep sleep, right? There is a, there's a kettle and there's a torch. And those walk through in a vision, right? Okay, so that's the, that's the next covenant that we see. And then we've got expansions of that as we go throughout history, right? So here, what we see is Israel is viewed as the sons of, of God. So they are the ones that are expected to be obedient to the covenant. Okay, now we know ultimately they're not obedient to the covenant, right? Which is why then there's a need for the new covenant. Okay, but the sons of the Lord your God, that's how Moses starts. That is the umbrella under which everything else he's about to say falls. You are the sons of the Lord your God. That's going to have implications. That's going to have ramifications. Therefore, he goes on to the first thing. What do you do to your body? He says, you shall not cut yourselves or make baldness on your foreheads for the dead. These are two practices that we don't know a whole lot about them, uh, how they were necessarily practicing, but we know they're tied to the mourning of the dead. Okay? There's something about these when, when people have died, this is something that people did when they mourned. Now, here's what we do have with regard to the cutting. Um, the, one of the Old Testament gods that we read about, little g, false gods, is Baal, right? The Canaanite god Baal. If you were to dig into some more understanding of, of that, the Canaanite religion, you'll find that there's another, there's multiple gods, but Baal's the most, maybe the most well-known. But there's another god named El. We would spell it E-L, okay? El. He was believed to be the father of Baal. Okay? Put your mindset in like Greek mythology, things like that, where, where gods give birth to other gods and there's daddy gods and mommy gods and things like that. Okay? So El would be like the father god to Baal. Right? Well, Baal was the fertility god. He was, he was the god who was believed to bring fertility to humanity right? for humans, but also with regard to the land, so crops, okay? rain. Right? There are certain seasons of the year and when it was not the rainy season, the belief was Baal has been killed. Therefore, that's why he's not bringing rain in the season. He has been killed. He's now in the underworld, and he's trying to fight the battle in the underworld to get all the way back around so that he can be victorious once again and bring rain in season. And it was a cycle. Okay? It's called the Baal cycle. All right. So you shall not cut for yourselves. Now, with that cycle, understanding that the Canaanite people believed that Baal died on a regular basis. Their little g-god Baal died on a regular basis. Baal's father, El, there's, there's, there's writings that we have that describe Baal's father, El, as when he's in mourning for his son, Baal, he came down to earth and he would cut his flesh in mourning. So cutting the flesh was an act of mourning uh, over the death of Baal. The other thing then that we know from some of the writings that we have is some of the, the cultures that Israel was going to be surrounded by had an understanding that when someone died, when a person died, they would go down into the underworld, right? The realm of death, right? The realm of the dead. And so then people left behind, family members, loved ones, would then cut their flesh 
They would mark their flesh up, cutting their flesh, because they thought in doing that, it would help their dead loved one work their way through the realm of the dead and ultimately get past the realm of the dead so that that their spirit would survive even though their body has died. Okay? So, so if I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a father and I've lost a child and I'm a Canaanite father who's lost my child, I might have this understanding that my child's body is dead, but I want to help my child's spirit get someplace better than where it's at so that that spirit doesn't die. So then I might start cutting myself as a Canaanite father whose child has died in, in belief that I'm helping my child, my, my dead child, it's his spirit or her spirit, get through the realm of the dead so that the spirit doesn't ultimately die. In doing that... The belief is that I can control the power. I have more power over the dead than God does. Okay, I'm getting to a point here. So cutting yourself on behalf of the dead or pulling out hair or shaving spots to to make baldness spots on behalf of the dead, what Moses is saying is you shouldn't do that. You're a child of God, you shouldn't do that. Now, Understanding that this is some of the things that people practice in and that Moses was telling the people, that's not what you do when people die. Because to try to take power from God and believe that you have power over the dead to move the dead from one place to another or to help them get to another, he says, that's not for you to do. That's outside of your responsibility. That's outside of your realm of authority. You should not do these kinds of things. And so it should give us pause as we think about how do we approach when people die? What are some of the rituals? What are some of the things that we may do? They might be traditions. They might be things that we've just always done in our family. They might just be things that, that, that we've always just believed and we've never tested or questioned. But if I'm doing something here in this life that I think can help move someone along to a better place, that's the kind of thing that I think Moses would be saying today. You should not do that kind of stuff because I don't have power over the dead. That's God alone. Right? I don't have power to take someone who is no longer in this life and to move them along. But that's oftentimes what was behind the cutting or the making baldness. La- last thing I'm going to say about cutting. When I say cutting, I know in our context, in our culture, it's not usually associated with mourning of, of dead people. Instead, it's usually associated with um, a, a lot of pain. Maybe some trauma has been caused to me. Um, I've got anxiety, Um, I'm in a deep state of depression. And so then the cutting then is usually about trying to distract myself from the pain that usually I'm feeling inward because someone has sinned against me, someone has hurt me, harmed me. Um, And so I'm cutting maybe my my wrists, right? Maybe my my legs and I'm trying to just distract myself from the pain. It's kind of like a numbing effect, if you will, right? That's usually what comes to mind for us when I when I say cutting. And so that too though, Because of the association, I want to address that too. That too is not something that God would want us to do. Why? Because that's something that we're doing to our bodies. You know, you're made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. And so when you do things that are destroying your body like that, that is not something that's honoring to God. But but I'm in in a lot of pain and, and 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 it's helpful. I'm going to say to you, that pain is real. More than likely, that pain is real. Like, I don't know what you've been through, but I'm just going to assume that pain is real. You've been sinned against. You've been done harm to. Someone has hurt you. Um, you're, you're really, you've got struggles going on up here, and this is how you have chosen to cope. This is how you have chosen to distract yourself, right? But this is also damaging. You might think it's less damaging than what I could do. I could just be going all the way and killing myself, but this is less damaging. And I'm going to tell you, this is just as damaging. 
Because if I'm cutting myself, I'm one, I'm destroying the image of God, okay? But two, I'm likely not even being influenced by myself. I'm likely being influenced by something else. Why? Why do I say that? Because when I look at demonic beings, especially in the New Testament, one of the things that I see them do to the body of the person that they're afflicting is they always are trying to destroy the body. And so when somebody is starting to cut, I'm not discounting that the trauma, that the sin done to you is real and harmful and hurtful, but what I'm saying to you is there, there are spiritual beings that will take hold and take advantage of you in those moments of anxiety or depression or, or sin done, trauma done to you, and you start to do this because you think this is how I cope. And I'm gonna say to you, it's possible possible, maybe more likely than you would want to give credit for, that you're also being influenced by something that's not of you, that is spiritually dark. And if that's the case, it's not hopeless. There is a savior who has disarmed all of the the demonic beings, and and he has has put them to open shame when he triumphed in them uh, at the cross, uh, Colossians 2.15, right? And so if we are being afflicted by spirits of some kind, and by the way, cutting, I would say that spirit is trying to influence you towards death, okay? Which is partly why I knew this was coming in the sermon, partly why I'm praying this morning against spirits that might be influencing us towards death. Right? Because a spirit that's trying to harm my body is ultimately one that's, that's trying to move me towards death. If I'm, if I'm being influenced by a spirit and that spirit is trying to get me to commit suicide, then that spirit is moving me towards death. Right? Jesus overcame those types of spirits, those types of authorities, those types of rulers. He disarmed them. They have no power and authority in front of Jesus. So if they're active in your life, if you have experienced sin, I'm not minimizing that. If someone has harmed you, if someone has abused you, I'm not minimizing that. We, we, we would need to deal with the hurt and acknowledge the hurt. But what I'm saying to you is don't discount that, that if that's what's going on, if you're cutting yourself, if you're making marks or you're, you're yanking out hair, there's, there, there's, there's things that happen for sometimes people, that's the way they cope is they yank out hair. If that's you, let's, let's visit. Or, or if you're not already finding someone to visit with, Find someone to visit with because I believe there is hope for you. And I believe that Jesus can overcome that. And I'm not making light of it. I know the billboard on the way to the city says Jesus is the answer to all of your problems. I know when we read that, and especially people of the world read that, they're going, yeah, but how is he the answer to this? I'm not trying to be cliche or trite, but I'm trying to say to you, I believe that Jesus is greater than whatever you're experiencing. Okay? If that stirs stuff up for you, ready to visit. He goes on in verse two, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. See, there's, there's a key statement here. Now we're gonna see the same phrase at the very end. You are a people holy to the, to the Lord, your God. That's why you should not cut yourself in mourning for the dead. That's why you should not make bald spots in mourning for the dead because you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The nation of Israel was created by God. God did not come in and take a group of people who were already in existence. He created them. Abram was plucked right out of the middle of Babylon. You remember Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel, all the people rebelling, right? And then out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is right there in that Mesopotamian region, that's where Abram and his family were living. That's where God plucked him out and said, if you will follow me to the land that I'm showing you, I will. And he listed the things. And then from Abram became the nation of Israel, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. God created the nation of Israel, which is why he says you are a people treasured, his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. 
But Lord God has focused in on them, right? All right, so because you are holy, that's why you don't do those things. The order makes a difference. Because you are holy, because the Lord has chosen you, because you are his treasured possessions, therefore you don't do those things. It's not don't do those things and you will become holy. He makes his people holy. He sets them apart and he says, now you live this way as people who are holy. I do not earn the holiness of God in the way that I live. I cannot make God and influence God or convince God to bring me into the kingdom because of my own righteousness. I cannot do it. That's why we needed him to send the son. That's why we needed him to send Jesus, the righteous one, so that his righteousness could become my righteousness through faith in him, right? And so I don't obey God in order to be made holy. I don't obey God in order to be accepted. I obey God because he has made me holy, right? Which is why in the New Testament, Paul will oftentimes say saints. He'll say saints. He'll call his people saints, to the saints. That word is holy. It's set apart to the ones who are holy, to the holy ones, to the set apart ones. And yet the churches that he writes to, where he calls them saints, Corinthians is a great example, where he calls them saints, he's writing to the saints at the church at Corinth, and yet the church at Corinth had some pretty heinous sin problems. And yet that didn't discourage Paul from from calling them saints. Because God makes the people holy, he saves them, but then we're in this process of continuously being made more and more holy like the sun, right? So there's a, I'm, I'm declared righteous before God, it's set, it's, it, it's declared, it's a legal standing, but then my experiential holiness, my, my progressively, I'm progressively growing in, living out that holiness, which is why Paul would say in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not telling people to work so you can earn your salvation. He's saying, because you've been saved, now work it out. It's like kneading dough. Work it out. Live it out. Live out what you believe, right? It's because God makes his people holy that God's people live different and set apart. But I don't live different and set apart in order to be made holy, right? God declares me holy, and then I live. Is that making sense? The order matters. And the, the order that you believe is correct will determine how you relate to God. And if you believe that I must obey and I must live a righteous life in order to be made holy before God, I can earn it, then I'm going to be living a very burdensome life. I'm going to be carrying burdens that I will never be able to ultimately carry. And I'm going to be carrying yokes that I could never carry. But if I understand God declares me holy because of the righteousness of Christ is now mine, now I'm free to live. I'm not trying to earn that holiness. I'm just trying to work it out now. I'm just trying to live in light of it. I'm just trying to grow in it, okay? Very different, very freeing difference. That's grace. That's grace, all right? So what we do to our bodies as the people of God, Moses says it matters what you do, particularly in relation to the dead. All right, but it also matters what we put into our bodies, now, I'm going to tell you, we're going to, we're going to be hitting this on a high level because Moses hits this on a high level here. Remember, Moses is speaking to people. He's giving oral sermons, and he's reminding them of the things that have already been taught. So there's going to be things that Moses is going to say. He's going to say things like, you can eat of anything that's clean in this category. But he does not here, he's not going to tell us what that is because in Leviticus chapter 11, he already did. All right? So he's, he's expecting his people to, uh, to remember that which has already been taught and communicated, which many of them would have already been growing up under. So he's going to be summarizing it here. What, if you want to see more details, Leviticus 11 is where you would go. So he's going to hit three categories, broadly speaking. 
When it comes to things that God's people should eat, he's going to say, you shall not eat any abomination. And then now everything else that follows, he's going to help, help the people understand what's an abomination and what's not an abomination. He's going to talk about land animals. He's going to talk about animals in the air. And, uh, animals in the sea first and then animals in the air. And the animals in the air will also include insects. Okay? So we're talking about land, sea, and air. And he's helping the people understand when you get in the land, what can you eat? What, what's clean for you and what's unclean? So let me go through this and then we'll, we'll, kinda, we'll talk through some of that. You shall not eat any abomination. So these are the animals you may eat. Verse 4. These are the animals you may eat. So this is land animals. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Verse 7. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud, but they do not have the parted hoof. They are unclean for you. Verse 8, and the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses, their dead bodies, you shall not touch. All right, why does this matter? Moses, God, and Moses doesn't necessarily explain a whole lot about why they're considered unclean. You're not going to find a whole lot in the scriptures about why the cow and not the pig? Why, why, the, why, why certain animals? Why the ones with cloven hooves? We don't know. Now, what rabbis have done over the years is they've made some observations. And so I want to I point out some of those observations. None of these observations are foolproof. In other words, I'm going to throw out an observation. I'm going to say this is generally true, but we're going to be able to find an exception to it. But in general, so we're talking about the cloven hoof and choose the cud. The, think about the cow, the process of the cow. What is it? Four stomachs, right? Uh, I'm glad some of y'all confirmed that, right? Four stomachs, because in this congregation, you should, all right? Four stomachs. And so the, the process is you, they chew it, they send it down, it goes to one stomach, it comes back up after some things have been broken down, it chews it again, it goes to the next one, comes back up, breaks it down, chews some more, it goes to the third, right? All, it's a very slow process, and it's a very thorough process of digestion, okay? And, and some, some rabbis have pointed out, as they're trying to, trying to make sense of this, they'll say, well... Um, the cow, for an example, his, his ruminating, his chewing the cud reminds us to meditate on the law of God. Right? And that's a great picture of what it looks like to meditate on the law of God day and night. It's I'm chewing on it. I'm, I'm, I'm chewing on it. I'm just, when we think meditation, Eastern meditation is clear your mind so you can try to connect with the, the universe or, or whatever the higher being is. But in, in the scriptures, meditation is about turn it over, turn it over. And so when you memorize a verse, what are you doing? You're you memorize that verse, and then you turn that verse over and over in your head. Like I, I prayed before we started, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. So if I'm meditating on it, I'd say, open our eyes. And I just meditate, open our eyes. Maybe I'll pray about it. Lord, open my eyes. I'm meditating. I'm just, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things. Lord, I want to see wonderful things. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. And I'm, I'm just breaking apart my mind. I'm just chewing it over and over and over again in my mind, right? Oftentimes, oftentimes in the meditation is where God gives the deepest insight. I can read commentaries all day long, and I, I, can, I can read commentaries and get other people's insights, and I can get other people's study and benefit from their study, but it's the meditating that the Lord then lets his spirit come and say, now, let me give you a deeper understanding of this. You won't find it in a commentary necessarily, 
or let me show you how to live this in your life. Let me show this where this is manifesting in your heart, right? So some have said it, it mimics what our spiritual life should look like. Whereas the pig, for instance, as an example, the pig's digestive system is very fast. I read one, it's amazing what I research when I'm, when I'm studying for stuff like this. Um, I read one medical article that said the pig's digestion process is about four hours. Now, if you also know that um, the, the, the cow eats grass, right, herbivore, pig is an omnivore. It'll eat anything, absolutely anything, right? And everything that it eats just flies through its body so quickly that there's not enough time for the toxins, the parasites, and the, the, the different things that are in food to, to go out with the digestion, and so it seeps into the muscles and so, seeps into the, some of the organs, and so then when we eat that, then that's being eaten as well because the process is not as, as good. And so, so rabbis have said, so there's a, a picture of spiritual life. It's, it's better to slow down. It's better to meditate and to ruminate instead of to rush through things and then you get these toxins, right? So th- it, it, they say, well, maybe what God is trying to do is teach us through these physical animals how we should live our spiritual life. Uh, others rabbis and then um, maybe even some Christians today who are more influenced by the West, one of the things they look at is the medical side of this. Just the cleanliness of the animal itself, right? Eating a cow versus, say, eating a pig, right? I'm just going to keep using those two examples. They're the biggest ones, right? And so you think about the process I just described. Cows eat grass. They eat, they're herbivores, but pigs eat absolutely anything. I read one article that said, I think it was the city of Cleveland at some point for a long period of time used pigs to eat their landfill to keep their landfill from getting too high. Okay, that's garbage, right? Okay, um, I've been to Haiti. You, some of you guys have been to Haiti. You see the pigs in Haiti, they're eating garbage, Right? I know if you're a pig farmer, you're not feeding your pig garbage, but we, we, we see pigs will eat anything. I saw, I saw one video. Pigs eat their own waste and the waste of their, their friends in there. I saw one video where one pig was eating behind another pig, and that pig dropped waste, and then the other pig behind him ate the waste. Pigs will eat anything, right? Cows will not. Right? So, so rabbis have looked at it and said, just the cleanliness of the animal might make a difference. Right? So then there's some thinking about this that maybe what God was doing is he, he, maybe he knew what he was doing when he was trying to help his people understand what they should and should not eat. Right? Okay, maybe. Right? So there's two examples of how people kind of try to make sense of it. But they're not foolproof because, because there's going to be other animals where, I, where I'm saying most of the ones that God declares clean are herbivores. Most of the ones that he declares unclean, they eat waste or they eat uh, all kinds of things. God has designed some animals, we know this to be true, they just clean the environment. They just clean the environment. Pigs clean the environment, they'll eat anything, right? When we get to the, to the birds, I'm going to move on here for a minute. When we get to the birds, I'm, I'm sorry, the sea animals, verse 9, of all that are in the waters, you may eat of these, whatever has fins and scales. So with the land animals, those cloven hoofs split in two, and they chew the cud. Both had to be true. With the, with the sea animals, it's they have to have fins and scales, right? And then whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It's unclean for you. So then when I start thinking about, okay, well, fins and scales, well, that's, that's a lot of our fish, right? But when I start thinking about what doesn't have fins or doesn't have scales, I think about shrimp would be a popular one, right? Crawfish, because I'm a Louisiana boy. Um, I, would, I would think about um, catfish. Catfish, they don't have scales, Right? And so then when you think, okay, well, what, why, why might those, God? I mean, again, the scriptures don't spell it out for us as, as detailed as we'd like, but why? And so rabbis have looked at it and they said, again, you, you look at most fish um, that have fins and scales and what they eat is a lot cleaner, but things that don't have fins or scales are both like shrimp or crawfish, they're bottom dwellers and they're eating a lot of times algae or they're eating decayed matter. Catfish, same kind of thing, they eat decayed matter. And so there's commonalities that we can see then we go, man, Maybe, maybe God had a plan. Maybe God understood what he was doing when he was, when he was instructing his people here about the cleanliness of the animals. 
And so there's some animals that God has designed to clean the environment, and then there's some animals that, that he said you can eat. And he's specifying that for people. But again, there's breakdown, right? There, it's, not, it's not foolproof categories, but these are kind of some of the ways people have wrestled through. And then he goes into the air. Verse 11, you may eat all the clean birds. Again, he doesn't tell you what the clean birds are here, but in Leviticus 11, he does. These are the ones that you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl and the tawny owl, the carrion vulture and the cumorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, the, hoop, uh, the hoopoe and the bat, and all winged insects are, clean, uh, are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean, wing, uh, all clean winged things you may eat. So again, he'll specify that. So again, we look at him and we go, okay, well, if I'm trying to make sense of this, the, animal, the birds that he says don't eat, they all seem to be birds of prey. They're eating other things. So if that bird ate a rat and I eat that bird, I eat the rat, right? If, I, if that, that pig eats the waste and I eat the pig, Okay, right, so, so you see maybe the connection and go back to that drawing where I said holy and common and under common there's clean and there's unclean and that which is clean and unclean is in comparison to that which is holy and that which is unclean must never come into contact with that which is holy and so God is trying to help his people understand how do you live in the context of a relationship with God? These are the things you must not eat because these things are unclean and he says, for you. What about the other nations? No, they're unclean for you. Why? Because you are people holy. You are people, my treasured possession. You are people set apart. I will tell my kids oftentimes, I will tell my kids, if they say, God, but I'm not, they don't call me God. They don't call me God. Um, if they say, Dad, Dad, why can't we do this? So-and-so gets to do this. I'm your parent. I'm not so-and-so's parent. Right? So you are my responsibility given to me by the Lord. I'm responsible for parenting you. I'm not responsible for parenting them. Because you are my child, you are expected to obey my instructions and not theirs. Right? God says, you are a people holy to the Lord. You are my treasured possessions. Therefore, this is unclean for you. Right? So he's, he's helping them know, how do you live set apart? The other thing about these animals, um, some, some rabbis have said, well, um, you know, some of these animals were used in ritual sacrifices for other gods and other religions in the nations that surrounded the people. So perhaps what God is doing is he's trying to help them separate themselves from these other religions, right? Again, there's, there's, there's breakdowns and all that, but these are some of the things that have been, been put out as, here's observations that we can make. He goes on, verse 21, our last verse, you shall not eat anything that has died naturally. I found this one kind of interesting. You... You shall not eat anything that died naturally. People of God, you shall not eat anything that died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner. It's not that it was bad to eat, but it was unclean for them. Why? Because something that has died naturally is unclean. Why is it unclean? Because it died. It died unnaturally, right? Unclean and clean. Being unclean is oftentimes about something being unnatural, not usual, abnormal. If something dies naturally, it didn't have its throat slit. It wasn't, it wasn't, the blood wasn't drained from it like we were told they needed to have the blood drained. But it's okay for you to give it to the soldier, someone who's passing through, that he may eat it or you may sell it to a foreigner, someone outside of the people of Israel. And again, here it is, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Why does, does it matter what I do to my body, what I put in my body? Because God calls his people holy, right? And then there's this, I, 
Man, if I was writing this, I would have put this above this, but I don't know. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And people have discussed this for, what, what does that mean? Why would you do that? Is it a ritual sacrifice? Is it, is it something about, about just um, humane treatment? There's all kinds of stuff, but that's what he closes out this section with. Now, I flew through that because I told you I was going to hit it high level. The children of God must treat their bodies differently because they belong to God. Why would it matter to God that his people, why is he giving instruction to Israel about what they should eat? One, because God said. That's where we start. If God says, that's, that's, that's where it is, right? Now, why would God say? Well, maybe what, what God understands too is, if you will obey me in these things, your physical appetite, it will teach you discipline to also obey me in spiritual appetite, right? There, there, there's, there's obedience and discipline in the little things that then could lead to obedience and discipline in some of the bigger things or the physical things to the spiritual things, right? If you're in military or law enforcement, you know, why, why, do, we bother with, why do we bother with uniforms and, and making things, sure things are the right way and that your, your hat's two inches or whatever it is above your, you know, why, why do we have these, all these rules and these custom and courtesies? Well, part of it's surely indoctrination, right? It's, it's absolutely that. But then the other part of it is little details, standardization, little details. Discipline in the small things leads to discipline in the greater things. A person who's undisciplined in the small things is more likely to be undisciplined in the greater things. So perhaps one of the things that God is doing when he's teaching his people, here's what you should not do to your body, here's what you should not put in your body, is obey me in these things because these things, there's much weightier things than this as well. And if you can't obey me in the small, how will you obey me in the greater? Right? Perhaps, perhaps there's some of that going, right? If my kids are to decide that they're going to pick and choose which instructions of mine they're going to obey, and they're going to say, well, in their mind, this one's not a big deal. In my mind, or outwardly, I'm going to say, but I'm watching to see if you can be trusted in the small things before I can entrust you with the bigger things. If I want to give you more responsibility and more freedom, then I need to see you be responsible with the freedom you currently have, right? It's that same kind of principle. And what did, God, what did Moses say to them? You are sons. You are sons of the Lord your God. Children, Right? So God is helping to teach his people how to live and how to live holy and set apart lives so that they do not end up doing the things that these other nations have done who have rejected God. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are able to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done, because of his death and his resurrection and then his ascension at the right hand of God the Father. We are now able to go enter into the presence of God because we have been made clean, and furthermore, we are called saints. We have been declared and made holy. Let us draw near with a true heart, but it's because of being sprinkled clean. The things that we read in the Old Testament, in the, in the law, in the Torah, oftentimes are pointing us to what God has done for us in the Messiah, in Christ, in Jesus, right? And so the, the living clean and unclean points us ultimately to the one who makes all things that are unclean clean, the one who, who makes us who are unclean clean and then ultimately holy so that we might be with the Father, that we might be in the presence of God. And he goes on and he says, so let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if you saw my email last night, now you know why that made it into the email last night. It matters to God what we do to our bodies and what we put into our bodies. It matters. And the application for that is immense. It's immense. And so that's where we say, Lord, help me to understand. And there may not be, there may be some specifics in the Bible, and then there may be others where we're going, I don't know. I don't know. I need to consider and not take lightly the things that I'm putting in my body. I need to consider and not take lightly the things I'm doing to my body because my body matters to God. Last thought I would say is this. Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. He physically rose to a new type of body. Our bodies matter to God. He redeemed our bodies. We will get a new body. It's not just our soul and spirit that's been saved. It's not just the immaterial part of us. It's the whole person. And the resurrection of Jesus to a new type of life and a new spiritual body that's physical in nature, we too will have the same thing. Our bodies matter to God, right? So when I consider my ethics concerning my body, I must be running it through the grid of what does God's word say? So I've kept you. So Father, your word is good. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And there are times when your word is hard. And it confronts us with things that, that maybe challenge us or it confronts us with things that we don't really know what to do with. And so Holy Spirit, come and give us an understanding. Help us to understand your word. If I've taught anything that's wrong, then block our ears from that. And then correct it, Lord. In Jesus' name, correct us. Lead us into the, to truth instead. But if there's been true things that have been taught from your word, help us to grasp those things and let those things sink deep in as seeds that then sprout roots and then grow deep. And Holy Spirit, show us what it looks like. How does it change the way we live our lives? How does it change the way we think about things? How does it change what I do with my body and what I put in my body? Teach us, Lord. We want to be your people that are continually growing and, and being more and more conformed in the image of your son. So teach us what that looks like. Help us to be humble enough to receive it and open enough to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, see you guys.